Welcome to the Blockchain Practitioners Podcast, where we interview founders, leaders, professors, and experts in the blockchain industry about the projects they're working on. On this podcast, we try to learn something new about an industry which will, in a few years, affect the lives of us all. My name is Stella, and I'm your host for this episode. Today, we'll talk about cold wallets. A cold wallet is a hardware device that stores your cryptocurrency private keys. Contrary to a hot wallet, a cold wallet is not connected to the internet, which is the reason why it is the most secure way to store your keys. Our guest is Ruben Mare, one of Belgium's 40 under 40. Ruben is the founder and CEO of the company Engrave, manufacturing the most secure cold wallets in the world. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, the, the Blockchain CEO. And today we're interviewing Mr. Ruben Mayer, who is the CEO of uh, the company Engrave. So, Ruben, I'm very nice. it's very nice for me to meet you. Can you please introduce your, yourself? Sure, sure. <laughs> Hello. Um, yeah, I'm Ruben. I'm one of the three co-founders of Engrave. Uh, I happen to be the CEO. Um, and... We let's say Engrave is a digital asset security company. Currently, let's say mostly focused on blockchain security. Um, and what we do is we're basically on a mission to make sure that you have the easiest way of managing your crypto, but even more importantly, the, the, the most secure way of managing your crypto. Um, in a nutshell. Okay, I see, I see. And can you tell us when and how you started to to get into black, blockchain and digital currencies? What was the what was the the thing that made you want to to start to get interested in in this field? Um, well, I've always been um, let's say intrinsically motivated by solving problems that empower people, and uh, that, that that's and I think um, so. Initially, my career I did that by building let's say um, special automated uh, investment platforms where uh, users like anybody, the the next guy on the corner of the street. Could, could actually invest in, um, in, in, in a portfolio that did well. He didn't have to think about it. It, it was fully, fully automated with algorithms. And most importantly, he didn't need $200,000 to start because if you want to do private wealth management today, you kind of need a lot of entry money. Mm -hmm. But us, you could do it from 500 euros and you could start. And so it's always been a bit about protecting um, people, I would say. And if, we, if I look at when blockchain actually started to interest me, it was when I, for the first time, looked under the hood of the technology because I, uh, in 2015, was the first time that I, um, that I came across crypto and Bitcoin in specific, I think it was around $100 to $200. Um, and I was, I was just coming across it when I was doing research for the strategy 2020 of, uh, of, of an international bank where I was, I was assigned project manager to, to do that. And so I looked at it, and the first thing, like everybody that sees Bitcoin, they, the only thing they, they see is it's a bubble, right? If anything, anything is a bubble. That if you go from one to three, it's a bubble. If you go from three to ten, it's also a bubble. So Bitcoin has always looked like a bubble because it's always been going up. Um, and so I was I was raised, so to speak, in my own education um, by the likes of Warren Buffett, where you really talk about the intrinsic value of a company and I couldn't, I couldn't see that back then in, in Bitcoin yet. So, and also I was, the second, second thing he said is stay away from bubbles. And so I just stayed away. I didn't really think about it. I, I had a pretty busy professional life. So um, it took me till I would say the end of 2017, when a good friend of mine said, just look under the hood of, 
of the of the crypto space and look at the technology. And when I did that, that's when uh, I almost immediately made the shift the shift to okay, this is going to become the next part of my career. And the reason is uh, again because of that empowerment of, of people and the protection and the trust you can you can bring. Um, so for me, for example, one of the things I thought about immediately, and actually when I did when I went to Oxford to do the blockchain strategy program, we also built a, a little business around that. Um, it was about imagine a, a father uh, in Pakistan. He has his family, and he goes he goes off working in the Arab Emirates, and he um, and basically every month he sells sends basically a thousand dollars back to his family. So if he does it today, he will pay hundred, two hundred, maybe more dollars in transaction fees. And yeah, I mean that's a lot of money for um, for that kind of family. So so for me, when I realized that these kind of remittances, as they call it, the cross border payments that you can actually solve them with the likes of Bitcoin by having super fast transactions, almost no transaction fees. And for me, there was, there was an eye-opener. And there were many other examples. I think blockchain is full of them. But for me, I immediately saw the value of that. And also when I looked at how it worked and how the blocks, uh, you know, like how the blockchain intrinsically uh, sticks together, it, it, it brought me to that point where I said, okay, I'm just going to gradually grow into this. But um, so I started. I started my. Uh, I started in the blockchain space next to my job back then as um, basically doing technical analysis and intrinsic value analysis on projects. So like around the ICO boom, okay. I was looking into that. We had a community. It grew extremely fast, as you can imagine. We had hundred thousand views per post, more or less. But after four months, um, I started really realizing that security and and the ease of use that it were really big problems. And that's how it then shifted into, into Engrid. Okay. All right. I see. I see. Uh, can you tell a bit more about your product? So could you explain what is a cold wallet, a hot wallet, and also how, how does it work? And what also makes Engrave Zero so particular? Okay. There's five questions. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah. So, so I think basically the, the genesis story of Engrave it starts with the three of us. We were three crypto investors. Um, our CTO, Xavier, he was in the space already since 2013. So by now it's eight years, eight, eight, a pretty long time. He, he, has, he had been hacked in, in Mt. in 2014. He had been hacked in the Lao hack. And then in 2016, he did an ICO initial point of with his, with his uh, project. And in 2017, they got hacked again. Um, this, this time it was the company that was hacked, but they lost 44,000 uh, Ethereum in the hack. Mm. And back then it was $10 million. Today that's around $100 million. So it, it was a big blow to the project. And what they, what they also did in the aftermath of that is they, they tried to figure out what the vulnerability was that actually took place so that the hackers could steal all those funds. And um, they actually automated that same vulnerability hack to all of these other different projects. So like 500 projects in the crypto space, they attacked them, they secured over $200 million and they actually sent it back to them after they, they were sure that the, the issue was fixed. Uh, but, but this project really suffered under, under it because they, well, they lost 44,000 Ethereum inevitably. And as you can imagine, if you have had a road like that behind you where you really lose money, um, it's uh, it it, it kind of ignites a fire, you know. So at, at a certain point, he, me, and Edward, we came together, and we we all had these issues with crypto, on security, on the trust mm -hmm. level, and then we asked ourselves like a, a, an eye-opening question, like very simple: 
which solution out there in the market, wherever it may be in the world, would we trust with everything we have? Would we put on it our first or last Bitcoin, every cryptocurrency we will ever have? Maybe in the future, our, our house, our digital assets, our digital identity? And we, we couldn't find the answer. Absolutely, absolutely not. We didn't even find something that came close. So there and then, it was, it was actually, if I, yeah, it's, today it's the 31st of March. It's three years ago today <laughs> that we had that conversation. Um, we, we decided to build it ourselves. And we said, we're not going to stand at the sidelines. We're going to do maybe the, one of the most hardest things to do in the crypto industry, and that's build something that is not fast money, that is not about doing an ICO, raising $5 million and in, in, in a few hours, and then go from there and basically don't even have the, the push from investors to, to build because ICOs have absolutely no structure or regulation whatsoever. So we said... In that time, we're going to build something real and we're going to take our time for it. And 2018 was the beginning of the, of the bear market. And so crypto, let's say, or Bitcoin crashed from $20,000 to $3,000, so an 85% correction. And that was the time where we said we're going, we're going to take the full two-year recovery period uh, as, as the cycle is more or less two years in, in Bitcoin. Um, we're going to use this and we're going to take no shortcuts. We're going to build the best solution in the world. And... Yeah, that, that sent us to, on a path to uh, also obviously look for the best partners because with the three of us, we would never be able to pull it off. We would need a whole team. And I would say like three years down the line, so today, we have effectively built a solution. We also have a backup solution. So we have, we have a hardware wallet, as they call it. We have a backup for the hardware wallet and we also have an app. And everything is ready. It's going to be shipped in a few weeks from now. Um, we've also had tremendous sales figures. We, we did an Indiegogo campaign. It was the best in crypto so far. Um, and yeah, I mean, everything is going in the right direction. We've set up all the factories. And we've did, basically, most of it we even did during the, uh, during the corona crisis. So um, yeah, we've been able to do a lot from our, from our chair, chair at home, so to speak. But it has been a very, very heavy period. I see, I see. Very productive period. <laughs> yeah, that, that too. And um, you talk a lot about security problems and uh, hacking, but many people today think mm -hmm. that the blockchain is very safe um, because of the way it's made, that it cannot be hacked. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of people tend to uh, have a um, make, uh, how do you say that? You cannot really tell the, tell the difference between the place where you stock the money and where you exchange the money. So for example, Binance, a lot of people keep their money on Binance. So do you think that the renowned safety of the blockchain overall is overrated. I guess you think, I think you do think so. I don't actually. Um, that's the, so the, the, if you go to the core of what blockchain is, and if you go to the core of any hack that ever happens, what actually happens, and so the root cause is that somebody steals or finds a private key that is not theirs. And so, um, and, and that's where it actually comes down to. So everything in blockchain and in, let's say, losing or owning your assets, it's all about one super, super simple concept. It's the private key. And so the way you have to see that is that, um, let's say, the bit, a Bitcoin address, it consists of a public key, which represents your address. You could compare it to, let's say, your bank account, but you just have it on a blockchain. Um, it looks a bit like an alphanumeric string, so it looks like gibberish. And on the other side, you have the, the private key. And the private key is, so to speak, your password. It's the secret key, the secret access key to your Bitcoin wallet. So if you have an account, 
then you will have a private key that grants you access to the account. If you compare it to, let's say, the traditional financial industry, you have a bank account and you have um, your, your smart card reader or your security dongle, you have a two-factor authentication code that you have to enter, and then you get a response. So you could compare it a bit to that. The only thing is that in the real essence of blockchain, while with a bank you can lose your PIN code, you call them up and you tell them, I lost my PIN code, give me a new one, and they will link that directly back to your account. Why? Because they have access to all the accounts, of course. Um, in, the, in the blockchain, in theory, or in the philosophy, everything is decentralized. So there is no third party that can give you access to your keys again if you lose them. It's, it's just you in the blockchain. And that means that if you don't, if you lose your private key, you cannot access your address anymore. So what can you do? You can do two things um, to get back to that private key. One is you try to brute force it. So you just try every single private key that exists until you find the one that actually matches your account. And there it becomes interesting because that is the power of blockchain. So um, the theoretic number of private keys is um, 2 to the 256th power, or just like we say, 256 bit. And you can compare that to 10 to the 18th power um, in terms of uh, possi possible combinations. So that's around the estimated number of atoms in the universe. So that means that if you lose your own private key and you try to brute force it with a supercomputer, it has to try 10, uh, the number 10 with 80 zeros behind it uh, um, options. And even with the, the, the fastest uh, quantum computers today, you don't even come, come close to, to that. So it basically means that the private key is the strongest is the one thing that makes blockchain so strong mm -hmm. because i can never i can never guess or crack your key and that is also unfortunately the way that the industry so far has evolved um in a sense that your private key i don't have to i don't have to crack it i just have to find it and if you make your key online well then it's easy for mm -hmm. me to find it there are so many things i can do and your example with binance so what happens with these online platforms? Well, Binance, if you have, I don't know if you have a Binance account, but if you do, you will, you will realize that you have never in your life seen a single private key. The only thing you have is, again, the centralized version of I have a password to, to log onto a platform, and then I see accounts. But if I want to do something, I have to say I want to send money from here to there. And the only thing you do, basically, is you, you have a mandate to, or a proxy to the account, and you ask the platform, can you please... Um, confirm that I can send this Bitcoin from here to there. So, and the reason is they have the private keys. So um, that's why many of them in the past and still today, at some point in time, they do an exit scan. So they just leave with all the users' funds. Why? Because they have the private keys. Um, or if they don't do it, do it, hackers hack them and they get to it. So a lot, for example, last year, or maybe it's already 2019, um, I think it was in between. Binance was hacked for 7,000 Bitcoin. Um, and what did the hackers steal? The private keys. So while from the one end, the private key is the, is the thing that makes blockchain strong, it's also its biggest weakness. Because if you don't manage private keys well, then it's game, game over before you begin. And that's what we solved. So we solved this and we, we call this, let's say, we call it the private key paradox. Right? It's both the strength and the weakness of blockchain. And, and that's basically what we set out to do to um, to fix. All right. Okay, I understand better. Um, from which moment do you think it's relevant to get a hardware wallet? Uh, should it be considered 
by beginners, so for, by people who invest, by individuals who invest on the on Binance or other well, Coinbase or other apps, or should it be only if you have a certain amount of money stocked on on that you want to stock actually? Yeah, well, what we see is that um, if you if you look for example to uh, beginners, beginners they actually are even more afraid than people who are in the market. Uh, people in the market understand it's 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 dangerous. People who are not in the markets, they know they've heard about Bitcoin and crypto and about and, and all these horror stories. Like that person lost hundred Bitcoin, that person lost hundred Bitcoin, that person was hacked, that person was hacked. It ne it's never ending story of uh, every day you have news like that. So um, they're pretty pretty anxious or they have a certain level of anxiety going in. And uh, so therefore I think it's, a, it's it's a good idea to get a hardware wallet even from the very beginning. And you don't necessarily have to get the, the highest tier wallets, the most expensive wallet. You can take a you can take an entry version. Um, but the entry versions they need a certain level of um, technical savviness, or let's say a sort of a learning curve before you understand how they work. They also bring a lot of anxiety by themselves because you need to be able you need to store your private key, so to speak, on a piece of paper in case you would lose the device. And obviously, a piece of paper is the worst place where you can store secrets. You spill water on it, and it's gone. So um, I think. You could say, like, keeping it on at least one of the top tier exchanges, the top 10 in the world, um, that's okay. But you must realize that there, can, there are things that can happen. And, um, and depending on your own appetite for risk, you can say I put more on a cold wallet than, than somebody else. But um, if we look at into the market for our solution, we are a bit more expensive. We're like four or $500 a mic. Mm -hmm. Even if you have $5,000, it makes sense to, to purchase a wallet. And we see that, we actually see that as well, because many people in the 20 to 35-year-old segment, they um, they have, a, let's say, a $5,000 minimum um, portfolio from which they expect one thing. It needs to move. It needs to go times 10 to $50,000. And they don't really care about volatility in between. But the, but the most absolute form of volatility, which is you lose everything, somebody steals it from you, that's something they don't want to see. And um, so... That in the beginning, we were less focused on these groups, but the more we, we, we're in it, we realized that newbies actually... I, have, I know people who are waiting for their Engrave Zero to start buying crypto because they, they just don't want to take risk. I see. <laughs> um, do you think that Engrave will one day manufacture a cold wallet storing data and not necessarily um, money? Yeah, we can, we can do that okay. already. Um, so the way you have to see it is we set out to build a solution that is very future-proof in the sense that we can do crypto transactions, but we can also do anything, let's say any kind of cryptographic um, calculations that have nothing to do with blockchain. And you have digital identity case, use cases in blockchain, also outside of blockchain. So you, you mostly have to see it as it's the most advanced security vault that has ever been made to this point. And we are the only solution in the world. It is EAL7. As a security certification, um, so and at the same time we basically um, put it in sort of a touchscreen sleeve to make it super simple for the user to use. And digital identity or anything else, it's actually possible. It's already possible with the device. All right, all right. Um, I have read um, an article while I was doing my research to to speak. Well, to get this interview. 
and I came across a paragraph, and I was wondering what you think. So I'm going to write, I'm going I'm going to read it, and you will tell me mm -hmm. what's your opinion on it. So the thesis was that cold wallets are actually not so useful because once you're connected to a PC network, you're vulnerable to attacks. So what do you think of this? Um, there is a sense of truth in that, but it depends on the hardware wallet. So some hardware wallets indeed connect. So you could say the, the most base, I mean, the most um, most traditional ones are going through USB. So you have a USB connection to a device. The idea of, of, of a hardware wallet is that even though there is this connection, these private keys are never exposed when you do when you do this communication. But um, there are very interesting cases in, let's say, cybersecurity around um, using USBs or USB drivers as as ways of attacking. And so, for example, in Iran, uh, I think it was 2014, there was a virus called the Stuxnet virus, a computer virus that just procreated itself by going from flash drive to flash drive. But it didn't do anything necessarily harmful until it, it came into the, uh, let's say, the premises of uh, the Iranese nuclear power plant. And what it did, allegedly, is that it, it was able to interfere with around 20% of the nucle nuclear enrichment program of, of, of Iran. So just by using USB drives, right? So what we said also from the outset is how can you be sure that you can hackers cannot steal your private keys from you or from your device? And we only saw one way, and that was by going completely offline. So uh, uh, I didn't know it was going to be a video, but here is such a zero. Uh, and it works with just this, this button on the side, and then you can do whatever you want. So we can create a universe of private keys offline on the device, and we never, ever, ever need to connect over Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, 4G to sign transactions or to, or to receive transactions or to consult your, your accounts. So you can actually do everything you want to do just as with a normal wallet, but your private keys are yours. You've created them yourself with the device and they will never be exposed. So they will never be at risk. Okay. But you do have, yeah, but I would say most of the hardware wallets have either Bluetooth or uh, USB or maybe NFC. And so all of these things are connections. Mm -hmm. We don't have any kind of connection because of that uh, intrinsic idea. Okay, okay, very interesting. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and finally, my last question is, uh, what are the next projects of Engrave or your projects? Are there any uh, projects that you're, that you're currently working on that you want to share with us? <laughs> well, um, Engrave is, uh, I would say, <laughs> it's, a, it's at least a seven day out of seven, 14, 15 hours a day <laughs> kind of entrepreneurial journey. And it's going to be a bit still like that for uh, probably the next three years as well. Um, so for us, it's more about, well, let me put it this way. We, we said, let's dream. Let's just think about any kind of thing we could do. Um, and we figured out around 70 different projects, all, let's say, in the prolongment of what Zero can do. So Zero 2.0 and all are also in there. Um, and, and then we, we, we checked what the budget was that we needed for that. And um, yeah, so for us, we're, we, we're just in a fundraising round right now. With those funds, we want to basically globalize our, our reach. And today we are selling in 80 countries, but we are not necessarily selling a thousands and thousands of units in each of those countries. So getting this as widespread as possible is very important because for us, the way we see sales, we don't say we have so many units sold. We say we, we have so many 
people that we've empowered financially um, to basically own what is what is theirs. So we, that's why we have the tagline, start truly owning what is yours or own your assets. Um, and yeah, so we still have a long way to go there. We're going to go for additional security certifications so we can also help uh, different sectors like the military sector, governmental sector, and you name it. Um, but also new new products, new platforms. Um, so after these three years, we've done really nice things, but I think we're just getting started. And that's the that's probably the, the main message of Engrave at any point in time. We've innovated everything we came across and we will not stop doing that. And uh, the beauty the beauty is that our partners are the ones who lead the world in the new cryptographic algorithms, in hardware security, in nanoelectronics. And through their eyes, we can also see the future and prepare for it with our solutions. That sounds very exciting. <laughs> so, well, thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, I appreciated conducting this interview with you. I wish you all the best for your success. I mean, you're pretty successful already, but I wish you even more success uh, for the rest. And so... Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Stella. You're welcome. So Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Practitioners Podcast and we hope you learned something useful and new about blockchain and digital currency today. If you are involved in an interesting blockchain project and would like to talk about it in one of our episodes, feel free to reach out to us. 